0: Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Yes, you heard me correctly. It is the same scripture that Pastor D just read from about two minutes ago. One of the reasons why we love being in this house is because there is a sensitivity to what the Lord is saying. And I think it's clear today that reconciliation is something he wants you to leave with thinking about and entering your heart in a very real way today. So thank you, Pastor D, for echoing the sentiment that God has been speaking to us throughout this time of not just playing for victory, but just in life. What have you called us to be and to do? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Before we read, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word. We pray according to your word that you would open up our eyes so that we may see all that is in your law for us. Holy Spirit, we need you to speak, and we pray that you'd be with us in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way we do know we do so no longer therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old has gone the new is here and all this is from god God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The title of this message today, about which we are very excited, is Reconcilable. Reconcilable. Um, I mentioned a moment ago that I've been enjoying working with college students now for the past seven years. And prayerfully, we'll be able to do so for many years to come. And every year, we have orientation where the students come, we tell them a little bit about the program, the university, walk them around the grounds, as they call it, and we just tell them a little bit about what their time with us is going to be like. And part of that time is the students asking us questions, and every year we talk about what our pet peeves are. One of my colleagues is with me today, so if I mess up any of the pet peeves, you can correct me, Blair, but we talk about those things that the students probably want to steer clear from. And so they're furiously writing so that they don't get in bad graces with any of the faculty members. Some of those pet peeves include, please don't email us. This is one of my colleagues. Don't email us after you've missed the class and say something like, so did I miss anything? <laughs> like, don't do that, right? Like, we weren't together for three hours twiddling our thumbs. I didn't plan all week to twiddle thumbs. Like, that's a pet peeve for one of my colleagues. Another says, don't email me and say in the salutation, hey, (laughs) BRB, you know, whatever the texting language might be, don't do that. Um, And for me, one common pet peeve, if you will, is that of a student seeming like, or maybe even explicitly stating, though that's not happened too often, that they got it all. They know it all. They don't need us. They don't need the program. They don't even know why they're there. You can just tell. It just comes off of them. Like, I just got it. Pet peeve. Of mine. But if I'm not careful, those pet peeves that we kind of jokingly but seriously talk about in those moments can create distance in the relationships that we're trying to build with these students we are called to shepherd over the two years of their graduate program. And I imagine I'm not alone in that. I imagine that all of us at times find distance created between us and God perhaps or between us and whoever's in our sphere of influence. And if we're not careful, relationships can fragment to the point where those differences that have created that distance almost seem like or, or make it seem like reconciliation is just an insurmountable, impossible task. And the truth is, the Bible says that all of us were dead in our transgressions. In fact, our iniquity separated us from the love of God. But God, in his infinite wisdom, sending his son, to die on the cross for our sins, through which we can then be reconciled to him. And the text today communicates that when God is recognized, people are reconciled. Or in other words, God recognized leads to people reconciled. Reconciliation implies that there is a separation between two parties, implies that there is some alienation, some fragmentation, if you will, and reconciliation then ends the estrangement between those two parties, between which there was some distance created. It brings together that which had been apart. And reconciliation for us is all about the objective work of Jesus Christ. We were separated from him. But verse 20 also speaks to. In our text speaks to somewhat of a subjective part of that relationship in that it says be reconciled to God. And so the reconciliation that we can experience in God is applicable only when appropriated in terms of our recognizing who he is and applying what he's done to our life and our relationships. And by extension, when we do that, when we steward the ministry of reconciliation, when ha- which has been committed to us, we are announcing the nature of the condition of God's plan for reconciliation with him and with each other. The people at Corinth, they had some issues. (laughs) Let's just say that. I know and none of you can relate to that. So I'm just going to talk about the church at Corinth because we are in a different place. So bear with me while I just share that. But there were about 400,000 or so people in the city of Corinth. There are Jews and Greeks, mixed multitudes of folks on this almost like an island of sorts, surrounded by water on both sides, such that it facilitated commerce and business in that space. So it was a very wealthy city, but it was also very well known for immorality. A lot of paganism being practiced in that space. And so the Apostle Paul does what we do in every nation in Grace Covenant Church. We plant a church there. <laughs> Goes down there and plants a church. Why? Because when God is recognized, people are reconciled. And so the First Corinthians was a letter from Paul, after he had planted the church on his second missionary journey, he was actually gone for 12 to 18 months, heard about some craziness going on there. So he writes a letter, which for us is 1 Corinthians, where he's talking about this disunity, the immorality. He's answering questions about marriage and orderly conduct and, and spiritual gifts, if you will. And in the second book of Corinthians, that which is our, our text is found in today, he had written this letter because, because now they had begun to challenge his teachings, challenge his authority, Said things like, you're fickle, you're boastful, too proud, you think you know it all, you're not even seemly in your appearance, you're dishonest. They were challenging everything that he has to say. So Paul writes the book of 2 Corinthians, and in chapter 5, he's defending his cause. He's essentially saying, there is, a, there is one sole driver for my behavior, and that is Jesus Christ. And his hope in that moment was that they would recognize God in him, such that they would then be reconciled to Him. I want to pause there for a moment because I don't know what awaits you at work tomorrow, meetings, colleagues, friends, family members, whoever that might be, but say you walk into a space, and some of you may have already, where you start talking, and after you've talked, somebody else says something along the lines of, man or woman, every time you speak, I literally feel like I'm getting dumber by the minute. Like, they they say that, whether explicitly or not so much. Or they say uh, something like, Take a long walk off a short pier, right? I don't know. Or, or you got dressed in the dark again. <laughs> like, really? Just everything about what they're saying is challenging you, challenging what you have to contribute to that space. I won't ask you how you might respond or perhaps what you already done, that for which there's repentance and forgiveness. <laughs> in your response to those situations, I'm going to focus on the Apostle Paul because what he did is instructive for us in that he didn't turn his back. He wrote this letter defending again the cause of Christ saying, do you see God in me? All these things, what are those things in our lives? Who is our defense in those moments? Who do people see in us in those moments when they may have wronged or spoken ill of us in some way, shape, or form? How do we respond? The Apostle Paul writes this letter announcing to the church at Corinth the nature and condition Of the plan for reconciliation. In verse 15, he says, Jesus died for all of us, no one excluded, so that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. He reminds the church again in verse 18 of our text that all this is from God. So he's emphasizing the point that nothing can be attributed to his own agency or his own power, but that God was to be acknowledged at all times. For those of us in this room who perhaps have already surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, when we did, we, we were given a fresh start, clean slate. Old things have passed, all things have become new. We do away with the worldly point of view, our text says. We don't look at and evaluate people based on what they say or what they look like. No, we take on that, which is the heavenly perspective of our Father. Some of you sitting here may not have surrendered your life to Christ, and as such, having experienced this fresh start, might I say preemptively, we'll give a moment at the end for sure, but this could be your moment just the same. There is never a bad time to make a great decision. Today can be the day that you say, I give up all of who I am, plans, dreams, ideas, strategies, intellect, to you in exchange, Lord, for your plan for my life, cleaning my slate clean. Verse 19 of our text says, he didn't count people's sins against them, took them on himself, nailed them to cross this is very good news because the truth of the matter is that none of us are too far gone not you not your cousin not your spouse not your child not your co-worker not anybody in your sphere of influence that maybe you or i have thought at one point irreconcilable no difference too great no distance too vast such that god can't bring reconciliation to that space you might even be sitting here having grown up in the church born on the pew as they say And maybe you're embarrassed here because you're thinking, well, I I should have known better. So I know I'm too far gone. can't come back. Now, God says he nailed your stuff to the cross, too. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, he deemed us reconcilable and he died for us. Apostle Paul, the writer of this text in the book of 2 Corinthians, used to be be Saul. Y'all know about Saul. He was the chief of persecutors of the church. Approved the stoning of Stephen, took folks out of, literally went to churches, took folks out of church, throw them in, in prison until on that road to Damascus had his moment where he met, encountered God, and he recognized God, and in recognizing God, he was reconciled to God. When God is recognized, people are reconciled. He's always been our friend. We get the privilege of every day choosing to be his And when we've made that choice, the text says then that we too are given the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, the Apostle Paul says, similarly, we are as well Christ ambassadors. That we are to implore others to be reconciled to Christ. When God gave us the vision for Victory Church, uh, which is to see people reconciled to God and to each other, we, it was 2015 at the time that we were putting pen to paper and just writing down what we sensed the Lord saying. We had no idea in 2015 what was going to take place in 2017 on August 11th and 12th by way of white supremacist rallies and racial animosity and acts of hatred that led to three deaths. We had no idea when we put pen to paper and wrote down the core convictions, which are reconciliation, community, <laughs> Health, mind, body, and spirit. And the generation seeing the younger and the more seasoned walk together in this thing called life and discipleship. We had no idea that we'd be planting a church at a time when all of those seemed so elusive. And similarly, it's already done in God's mind. We believe the fruit that's going to be born from this effort that we get to participate in planting seeds down in the the city of Charlottesville. In fact, we are becoming Who we already are, if you will, in the mind of Christ in that we are reconciled to God and to each other. Our privilege is to steward the ministry of reconciliation. Well, our privilege, our opportunity is to announce through our lives the path toward reconciliation. The opportunity is to make God clearly recognized in our daily living. It's to let individuals know through our lives that no one is too far gone. For Jesus Christ no one is too far gone for him to reconcile that they too can be the righteousness of God not through their own works but because God made Jesus who had no sin take on sin for you and I and that we get to be the conduits through whom the Holy Spirit gets to demolish every wall of hostility whatever that might be in our lives Charlottesville Chantilly DC Metro the nation and the world And bring real reconciliation to all of our earthly relationships. I can't wait to see the additional fruit that's going to be born in your lives. For taking the step of faith, the sacrifice to build something bigger than you, to build something bigger than me. And perhaps some of you are considering that move to Charlottesville as well. But let me tell you, it is bigger than any one of us and more about advancing the kingdom of God and doing what he's called us to do in our generation and passing on that baton well. This Friday, I was in New York City after having woken up, woken up, yeah, at, my wife is the writer, so I check in. Yeah, yeah Woken, awakened. At about 2 o'clock on Friday morning, we got up. My mom and I met my sibling down in, uh, at their place, and we drive up to New York City. My first cousin, the, the first cousin of my mother uh, had passed on, and so we were going to celebrate her life. She lived to be 90. She was a woman of God, loved him dearly, so it was indeed a celebration of her life. And we got to see family we hadn't seen in a long time. We're hugging and everything. And we're talking, having a great time and experiencing all the different emotions that come with loss of life, the sadness, the gratitude, and, and the celebratory moment. Such that when it was all done, I think my mom and I sense, you know, we're ready to go home. I was ready to come back home to my bride of 12 years, Taylor. My mom was ready to come back home to my dad, her husband of 61 years this coming summer. Amen. And we get to Penn Station in New York City, and we're just looking for direction. Like somebody, something, some anybody tell us where we need to go to get on this train to get us home. Lord, please. I said, I'm going to take care of my mom. I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to hold on to her. So we're looking, and if you've been to Penn Station or any train station, you you know they have the screens up top, right? And they have your your train, they have the track that it's supposed to be on. So my mom and I are looking, and we see, oh, there we are, train 129 right there, okay, track, standby. All right, we're not there yet, 424 is when we leave. They're going to bump up, and they'll show us where we need to go. So they start doing that, and it's going in order, right? This train going to Charlotte, this train going to Atlanta, this is your track, this is your track. And then we come up, say, okay, here we go. And then they skipped us, (laughs) and they went to the next track. I said, oh, Lord, not today. (laughs) Not today. I have my mom. Come on. I got to get her home. This is not cool. So I'm thinking, oh, Lord, um, at least for me in that moment, I'm literally thinking, I know these other trains won't take me home, but I'm thinking, how can I piece together these other things, these other trains to kind of get us to where we need to go? You all have... Well, let me back up to tell you what happened at the end of that. We did get our train. It showed up on the screen. We got on eight track eight, I think it was. We got on the train we needed to go to. And, and what was interesting is that there were about 100 of us watching the screen such that when we all saw it, it was like this herd of folks just moving together towards the train. Like, uh, here we go. And uh, side note, there was some favor shown. Praise God for that lady who said, hey, y'all don't need to go at all. That. Come on, I'm going to take you over to the elevator and take y'all downstairs. Right, Mom? Praise God for that favor. So we get on the train, got our seats, and we're... Getting home that night, and it was, it was wonderful. But the, the truth of the matter is that each of us are hurting some people in our lives. You all are being watched. You're being listened to. People are looking for direction. Show me how to get home. How do I get reconciled to this person called God? What does that look like? And the reality is there's direction being given from all parts of life. TV, people, educate, wherever. There's direction And so we don't have time for the the screen not to be saying something coming out of our lives. What is saying something about God coming through your life? What is that screen displaying in your life? Is it pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it saying to others, here, he's right here, recognize him, see him? Because when people are, when God is recognized, people are reconciled. And I want to challenge you all and myself as well this week to take inventory of those Those things that create distance, I want to come back to that. Those things that create alienation in relationships, fragmentation, such that reconciliation seems insurmountable, take inventory of those and think to yourself, Lord, how can I recognize you in this moment and how can I make you recognizable in this moment? Because whether or not this person is saying to me, I need you to show me which way to go, they're looking To see if I'm going to, like Apostle Paul, not turn my back but write a letter and say, let me tell you about how to get there. They're looking. They're looking. What is the screen of your life saying? Let it be pointing to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. Let your defense as Apostle Paul's defense and even writing this letter be that of the sole driver of who you are and what you are and how you do what you do. I don't care if it's education, business, law, arts, tech staff, wherever you are, that's a platform to do what God has called you to do, which is to make him recognizable so that people can be drawn to him. What is the screen of your life saying? People are in your life looking. Imagine, imagine if all these things or all this, depending on the version of the word you're reading, the NIV says all this. Other versions say all these things. Imagine if all these things from verse 18 in this entire text are reflected in the conversations that we have. Imagine if when, uh, for some of you who are senior saints already, and for those of us who will be someday, imagine if we can look back and say, I didn't count and I no longer count anyone's sins against them. Imagine, imagine if as married folk you're living not for you, but you're living for the one who died for you, such that when you're communicating with that spouse, everything about that interaction is about a service to the Lord. Imagine, college students, anyone in here? Imagine if you no longer regarded the worldly point of view when you're hanging out with your friends at the PAV, at the, ca- at the cafeteria. It's the PAV down at UVA. Whatever that cafeteria spot is at your university. Imagine if you're single in the house, that every interaction you had, as the text talks about, was due to Christ's compelling Imagine, imagine if we no longer allowed uh, voting preferences to determine who we invited over for dinner. Am I in the house? Am I on your roll? Imagine if race was no longer the, the, uh, 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 an indicator of our sense of safety. Imagine if one's bank account, a degree, or a pedigree didn't determine how long of an appointment they got with us. Just imagine if we made God more recognizable in our lives, how clearly people can see a path to reconciliation with God, yes, firstly, most importantly, and then horizontally with each other. When God is recognized, people are reconciled. Amen.